Yeah. Now I have several. Yeah. I mean, there are. It's like the it's like the into the spider verse of Uwu's. Um, how does it go? Because like you have like the dummy mommies on the internet that are like lower pitch, and then you've got like the the hot tub streamers that are like higher pitched. <laughs> if I ever do a cold open for a podcast, it's gonna be this episode. <laughs> dummy mommies on the internet. That's us. <laughs> Wait, are we dummy mommies? Yeah, and all of our listeners are subs. <clears throat> Vocal exercise number one. Ah-da-da. There we go. We're warmed up. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh. It was in my ear. Like, oh, you're like welcome. I could feel it. <laughs> That'll be 50 gifted subs now, please. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Two Power Hour podcast. Welcome to Raunchy Power Hour, a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous. As always, this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language, adult themes and sexual content. If you are sensitive to these things, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This month, we are reading One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. This is part two of One Last Stop. This podcast will contain spoilers of the entire book. If you want to read along with us, stop listening now. It's okay. We'll wait for you to come back. This is our concluding episode of One Last Stop. If you haven't, please go listen to part one. Yes, we'll wait again. This book contains themes of... Mentions of homophobic and police violence, the AIDS crisis, racism, childhood neglect, you have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlyn. I'm your dummy mommy, Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm dummy mommy number two, Lauren. (laughs) Now get ready to get raunchy. Oh god. That's the cold open for next time. We're just gonna expand upon it each time. Okay. Sounds but as always, I have a question to ask you. I may have an answer. We'll see. <laughs> if you could create an all original diner based meal. At a pancake house, for instance, what would you pick and why? And bonus points, what would you call it? Are you asking me what I would name a signature meal or something like that at a diner? Whatever you want, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hate it. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, I think... I think I would do something. I would get um, some buttercream pancakes with a slathering of delicious maple syrup and butter on. And I would have a side of hash browns and sausages and i would name it 
sausages with buttercream pancakes. I don't know. I have a follow-up question. <laughs> ignoring, the atro- <laughs> ignoring the atrocities that just occurred. What is a buttercream pancake? <laughs> have you never had a buttercream pancake? I've had I've had buttermilk pancakes. Oh. I don't know then. <laughs> Keep it. You know what? It sounds dirtier. Um, Keep it. Yeah. And Buzz, I'm keeping it. Um, buttercream is just when it's just the cream on top. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Lauren, what would, what would you make? <laughs> oh, oh, or I would do um, blueberry pancakes and call them uh, blue balls. <laughs> You know, I'd eat those. Um, If I had a diner special. So I'm vegetarian, preface for all the homies at home. Um, I can't get too zesty with breakfast as such. So I would probably make a little breakfast sandwich type. We're thinking Mickey D's style where you have like your English muffins sandwich between them. You got a fried egg. And then underneath the fried egg, you've got like, I think, a mini pancake that's like slathered in maple syrup. So you've got sort of like a weird sweet and savory combination and a whole lot of carbs, which I would probably call. Hmm. The sizzling sinner. I like your answer better. (laughs) I don't know. Buttercream pancakes actually needs to be a thing, like a fluffy pancake with like I feel, like frosting or some shit in the middle. I feel like, you know what? I think that's what I was thinking of is those pancakes you would get when you were a kid that had like actual like icing on it. Or I'm just thinking of something that I've dreamt of. You had a better childhood than I did if you have <laughs> pancakes with frosting on them. No comment. <laughs> no comment. I couldn't think Speaking of anything. So, <laughs> I'm good. Speaking of childhood trauma, question mark. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to our continued plot summary of One Last Stop. This is, in fact, our second stop. I've made that joke five times now. Get with the program. So, um, would you say this is our seventh stop then? That's why I got the 13th percentile on the Mass GRE. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess so. Seventh stop time um, where we, Cindy, would you like to tell our, our I was about to say submissive listeners. There it is. Our submissive <laughs> listeners, to, why, where we last left off. What were the what were the major bullet points of last episode? See, I would love to tell you. Um, I'm just trying to remember because we recorded that a while ago. <laughs> um, so kind of our main points is that we we got a wacky trope of characters and we've got Miss Detective herself, Miss August, who has stumbled upon a hottie with the body on the subway. Her name is Jane and Jane's got something weird going about her. Um, And it's not that she's got like a weird, well, she does have a weird aura, but it's not like she has a weird vibe or she's just like weird in general. No. Our girl Jane is from 
the 70s and has been stuck on the Q train for 50 years and still looks the same. So August and all the doctors are confused on how Jane looks so good. Anyway, August is down bad for Jane and has fallen hard. And she's trying to get down to the bottom of it and how Jane kind of got stuck here and what August can do all the while falling madly in love with her. Um, And not to exclude our intrepid group of side characters, we have Nico, Myla, and Wes, who are all August roommates, and they have all got a great just characteristics and just great characters in general. Uh, I will say I simp for Nyla, and if Nyla got her own book, I would have read that in an instant as well. And so... Nico is dating Myla and Wes has Wes is like their broody kind of other roommate. And he is in love with the drag queen across the hall, um, whose name is Isaiah. Um, and the drag is named antidepressant, which is my favorite joke in this entire book. And then we've got uh, another side kind of plot is that August works at this restaurant that Jane used to work at named Sorry, this is taking me a second to read. Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes. Got it right. Um, But then she found out, oh, no, it's closing down because landlords suck. (laughs) So they're trying to figure out how to save Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes. And on top of it all, we're trying to find out how Jane got stuck on the queue line and how she's a time traveling lesbian. So... I think last where we left off was chapter eight and we got the, oh yes, the Easter day drag brunch, um, which was a rager. Um, and we had pocket Jane, but yeah. Absolutely. And if you sexy sinners have not caught up on the last episode, the very last thing that we touched on plot wise is that Jane, after a, a relatively, I would argue, steamy little smooch with our main heroine, August, seemingly has her memory jogged and a whole bunch of her past that we haven't been able to uncover comes flooding back. And that is where we pick up on chapter nine. Now, bear with me, gamers. I inhaled half a DiGiorno pizza before recording this. And therefore, I'm going to live the the high baller lifestyle. And so I'm going to recall this as I recall it, which is not very much. And we're going to let that entice you to read this book. Can't give all our secrets away. And I'll try and keep us on track. So at least the plot is somewhat followable. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So chapter nine opens with honestly kind of a flood of information, which is very reminiscent of what's probably going on in Jane's mind as she is sort of suddenly recalling some of the details of her past all the way from childhood to somewhat before we questionably get her stuck on this Q train. So in summary, some of the broad strokes that I wrote down is Jane remembers growing up in San Francisco to sort of a very close knit family, two sisters aside from herself and then her two parents. They, her family has like a family restaurant in the Chinatown district of San Francisco. And while Jane relatively doesn't really mind working at the restaurant, 
she fears sort of the expectations of inheriting the restaurant from her parents as they sort of expected her to do. And so at the age of 18, I believe a local sort of like garage band, rock scene kind of band comes to play at their restaurant because she asked them to. She likes their music, their vibe. And she sort of like has that like, I feel like 18 year old rebellious, like I want to run away, explore the world and be kind of a roadie somewhat. I don't know. She goes away with the band sort of and this sort of starts a trend for her of traveling across the country where she sort of follows friends and familiar faces and threads of interest. And this sort of characterizes her early adulthood years. It's also a very tumultuous time in the United States. We're burgeoning on the 60s, think Vietnam War, uh, civil rights movements, a lot of upheaval um, and fights for social justice are occurring during this time. And one of those fights for social justice happens to be with gay or LGBTQ IA rights. And at this time, obviously, Jane being a sapphic woman, quite brutally honest, the world is just not friendly to gay people at this time. And so not only does the social climate sort of compound with her own fear of like, I assume settling down, finding herself, all these things combine to where she sort of goes from city to city, having flings with girls, but never really getting serious and upping and leaving. It even goes so far as to using nicknames than fake names, Jane possibly being one of those fake names. Then once a social climate climbs even into more heightened intensity, she finds herself in New York. And this is the first time she really stopped running for a moment. Life just seemed more vibrant and accepting and people weren't afraid to fight for their rights. And this sort of got her into protesting, into being uh, an advocate and a, a loud voice for social justice. Uh, she recalls to August a few times where she was like arrested, you know, a couple of the protests and, and major events that occurred in her time. She recalls the HIV AIDS epidemic. She recalls starting her job at Pancake Billy's. She recalls the urge to call home, but never really does so, even though she thinks about it, quote, all the time. Eventually, sort of this outpouring of everything that Jane remembers concludes with Jane saying that she remembers using the Q train often. And then nothing else after that. Sydney, what was your impression of Jane's backstory? Did this make you more interested or attracted to her? Did you feel like it completed pieces of the puzzle? What were your thoughts? I think it really, things really started making sense for Jane's character, especially like how she dressed and how she views kind of the world because taking on a role of an activist and fighting for rights, like rightfully puts you in a place of kind of in an outcast point in society because you're fighting for the underdog. And I think we've seen that through quite a few interactions with Jane and some of the little snippets we've seen of Jane, like punching a guy for being racist or um, helping people. Like she's just, She's a very charismatic and helping person. And I think that really filled in some of the lines um, with her character. And I think also I wanted to bring up too is that uh, Jane isn't her real name. Hence why August could not find her. And her real name is, I'm going to pronounce this horribly, Biusu. Mm-hmm. Biusu. Um, and it's 
And the reason that is important to point out is because in Jane's family, she's the only of the three daughters that actually has a Chinese name that she points out. Uh, Her two younger sisters do not have a Chinese name. And two of the tattoos on all some of the tattoos on Jane's body are the year signs for her siblings and her parents. So it just shows how much she fears being a disappointment, but loves like her family. Sorry, something fell. I'll be right back. Yeah, we can take a pause real quick if you need. This impromptu intermission has been brought to you by the Raunchy Power Hour Hot Tub Streaming Channel. Go to <laughs> Raunchy Hot Tub Time slash twitch.tv forward slash girls that like romance. And we'll probably be there. You'll never know until you look that URL up. We don't have a Twitch channel. We don't. We should stream live readings of we're making a Twitch account if you hadn't heard. I heard. I was I was in on I heard everything. We're gonna be hot tub streamers while we read fan fiction. You're welcome. What, hot tub, what is a hot tub streamer? <gasps> so it's literally these girls that'll go on, they'll do a live stream on Twitch for like I'm talking like five to eight hours, like long in a tubs. Yeah, they literally set up like an inflatable hot tub indoors and they get into be like bikinis and then they sit in there and they literally just like will get people to sub or like dono um, like a ridiculous amount of money and then they'll write that person's user on their body or like whiteboards and stuff and i'm like you know what you do you some hot tub streamers which i don't like this era of hot tub streamers will literally like will stream for hours off camera like they'll be there like talking in the background but you can't see them you maybe can see like an arm or something but they will tease for hours be like Sub if you want me to come on camera. Sub if you want to see the bikini. Sub if you want this. And then they'll only come on for the last like very five minutes of stream after hours. And then they'll make like shit tons of money. Tree hot tub time. See, we're going to get the wrong type of audience with that name. <laughs> it's, we got to diversify our demographic. <laughs> Anywho, you were saying, Sydney. <laughs> Forgot what I was saying. Uh, We were talking about Jane and how important her past is. Um, oh, and the reason that she has all these memories is because she tasted like I think it was sesame oil and like mm-hmm. citrus or something after August mm-hmm. ate it and they like kissed. Um, blah, 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 blah. oh, also, she did live in New Orleans. She remembers that she actually lived in New Orleans, which is shocking, but she can't remember why she left. Mm hmm. Indeed. It makes a lot of sense, as Sid just said, sort of painting in the the lines a bit of Jane and why she is so enigmatic and sort of seems to herald these like pining Internet posts uh, and attention drawn to her and at the same time almost being circumstantially forgettable. And it's really cool to sort of see that embedded in her past and how even though she hasn't remembered it until now it carries into the future i thought it was a really interesting backstory for sure oh what's also interesting is i just remembered this um at the beginning of the chapter it opens with so usually we have like a post or a newspaper clipping and in the beginning it is just it's some sort of record from jane 
but there's no year listed on there, which is very interesting because all the other ones, we know what year they've been posted. Um, so I think we're beginning to to color in who is Jane, but there's still an air of mystery about her, which it's just more intriguing. <laughs> Indeed. And August is damned going to get to the bottom of it, rest assured. But put a pin in that for now, because we're going to switch scenes a little bit within Chapter 9. Going back to Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes. It's not their theme song, but I imagine. So Lucy is getting frustrated over not being able to keep the shop open. The lease is ridiculously high, about 100K, I believe, is the funds that they need. And she just seems a little bit more pensive, a little more quick to anger, a shorter fuse than normal. This prompts August to ask Winfield why Lucy is getting so upset. He tells August that Lucy's first home basically was this shop. She immigrated over years ago and Pancake Billy's was sort of the first place that gave her a a constant, uh, a North Star, if you will, sort of once she arrived in the States. And that's Struggling to let it go is more personal to her because it's like struggling to let go her roots and sort of this emotional upheaval and recognition of the attachment and the effect that Pancake Billy's has had on so many lives, including Lucy's, finally prompts August to tell Jane that Billy's is closing. Now, this conversation is important because while it's been sort of this like almost like mystery Sherlock Holmes-esque uncovering of Jane's past which obviously, and very rightfully so, should evoke a lot of emotions. Jane, to this point, has kind of rolled with it very easily. She's just kind of like, let it roll off. It's just curiosity more than anything. Until now, when August tells her that Billy's is closing, this conversation ultimately leads to Jane missing her old, quote-unquote, life for the first time. And now that she remembers it, it's almost like mourning something that she didn't get the opportunity to enjoy. And August and the Q train are basically all she or no longer all she knows and it's grieving something that she could have and should have had august comforts her for a bit by showing her one of her favorite movies it's sort of like a distraction scene it's it's very sweet and very cute but i personally got the feeling that this conversation wasn't over what about you sid this conversation is definitely not over because this it's such a big conversation that an individual you can't process it within a couple hours and it would be a continuation, especially like, how would you go about handling the feelings of someone who literally got lost in time and lost their life and the life they were meant to live? That is heavy stuff. So yeah, I was like this, this is not the end of that conversation. I feel like the next half of this book is going to be a lot of that talk. And boy, do we start to get into the heavy stuff. When August returns home from that visit to the Q train. Uh, I was going to say it gets hot and heavy. Uh, it gets hot and heavy. It's a little sad. But that's a spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway, when August returns home, uh, she chats with roommates Myla and Nico because... 
not only are we learning a lot more about Jane, at the same time, August is learning a lot about herself. She's kind of starting to wonder if there's a possibility to send Jane back to the 70s and what that would sort of mean for their relationship. And August is sort of unpacking her compartmentalization of this is for research. This is for Jane. This is for the good of, you know, this girl that I like and what she wants, which would obviously mean Jane getting off the Q train and staying in the present. This means, or this prompts Milo and Eco to urge her to tell Jane how she feels and August is basically sitting there watching Myla and Nico be all cute and healthily jealous of how in quote loving orbit they are and longs for a connection with Jane like that. And it's tugs on your heartstrings a little bit. That's all I have to say. Just... Discord totally muted the sound. I see your mouth moving and I know what sound you're making. <laughs> Sydney is somewhat screaming, somewhat squeaking into the mic of excitement. Not excitement, of pain. I think it's just the the noise muffling that Discord has built in. Because like if you scream or clap or something, it, it'll automatically mute it. The more you know about Discord, but at the same time. I want to squeak in excitement and sadness. That's what she said. <laughs> we forgot that, that one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Well, get ready for squeaky time. Because... <laughs> the wheels on the subway go. <laughs> Actually, no, oh, they stop so, so the girlies can bang. <laughs> True. True. Speaking, this is what we are talking about, listeners. So this sort of like August and her like, I'm a I'm an adventurous wild woman type mentality. She's like, I'm gonna get up at 3.30 freaking a.m. to ride this damn cute train where we're most likely going to be alone and cheer Jane up, quote unquote. She brings a whole bunch of like snacks and like and like cassettes for Jane's cassette player and they drink wine and Jane's like, Yo, August, what the fuck are you doing on this train? And August is like, I'm here to do you. This is exactly how the scene goes, trust me. And Jane gets tipsy for like the first time that she can remember. And I guess like when you're like full of like wine. I don't know. I promise I drink. Um, <laughs> the disorder. Um, basically, the tension boils up and Jane sort of like quote-unquote snaps asking august sort of like what are we and what this is being like is this a date landry and august is sort of like at a loss for words of like um you know like oh my god like do i say this like of course it's a date but like do i risk saying that at the like risk of being rejected again and at this point jane is sort of like kind of confessing she admits that she's been quote pulling all the mood oh yeah She's pulling all the moves that she knows on August and doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. She's visibly nervous and desperate, like her hands are shaking, her voice is rising, she's pleading. And it's kind of becoming clear to August that Jane has had these feelings for months, probably just as long as August has. And 
this sort of like brings August to like ask about the kisses. Like they're all like, you know, just for research. And she asked Jane about the girls that she's had in the past, like just with how many flings they've been remembering and discovering. And Jane says my favorite line in this entire book. She says, August, they're not you. My jealousy kink has been satiated. <laughs> I was like, also, right. I love, I also love that August is like, oh, I'll get rejected again. I'm like, babe, you know, she can't get off the train. She didn't mean to reject you the first time. <laughs> That's actually such a good point. I did not pick up on that. We have known for like a whole, like couple of chapters now that Jane cannot leave the train. And we're like, all right, Miss Researcher, did you not put point A and point B together? <laughs> no, my feelings were hurt. <laughs> my feelings? I'm so sad. The high subway girl didn't want to get off the train. And the subway girl's like, I can't physically get off. Even though she literally says, I can't. Not a no. I can't. And August is like, way, way. <laughs> oh, sad. No. I said. You know what's not said though? The sex afterwards? The sex. It's <laughs> the, the sex. Uh, welcome to probably a recurrent segment of Lauren talks about sex like an awkward child that doesn't know what sex is. Oh. <clears throat> so while they're sort of they crash into a kiss, long story short. They have the confession moment, it's adorable. They have their first like real just like I'm into you and it's mutual kind of kiss. And during this like heavy petting scene, the lights go out. On the, <laughs> the lights go out on the subway and the train comes to a stop. Now, this is a lot like the electrical outage that happened many chapters ago, but the emergency lights don't come on. There's no announcement over the PA system and foreseeably no like reigniting of this train and reoperation anytime soon they're the only ones on it and jane is like you know what i want to do <laughs> and performs um conolingus on august <laughs> and it's it's great and i had to listen to this it's on my way to my nine to five Sydney, where were you listening to the scene? So funny enough. <laughs> um, I was coming back on a train from seeing my friend. So I was also in public reading this scene and I was like, I need to fan myself or a warning because I literally just wrote down in all caps, sex. <laughs> and then I wrote, I need, I need a warning. I'm on a train, LOL. You were just really getting in that immersive reading environment. I'm a method reader. <laughs> Instead of a method actor, I'm a method reader. You had to know what the fuss was about. And there we go. I had to know. Um, I also wrote down, did Jane short out the train because she's horny? <laughs> that is a fair point because what I didn't mention is that seemingly as soon as the cunnilingus has been achieved, um, I said that like an Xbox gamer and an achievement point. Good God. I'm sorry. Uh, this is the least sexy, sexy book podcast you've ever heard. Anyway, 
um, the lights come on almost conveniently as soon as it's over. So interesting question mark. At this point, I was like, Jane is attached to the train in some way. I don't know how, but this is the second time. Absolutely. Absolutely. As far as our Stevie scenes that we have read in books leading up to this, if you had to rate this steamy scene on a scale of one, meaning this train station smells like shit, and ten being we're on a bullet train to pound town, if you know what I'm saying, um, how would you rate this? I love your metaphors. Thanks. I'll take uh, one ticket to pound town bullet train. 10 out of 10. Oh, 100%. I was. Kicking your little footies. Uh, not kicking my little footies because um, I was feeling a little something else. But I was in public at the time. So, but I did. Re- re- Here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the few books that we have read for this podcast, there have been only two in which I have gone back to reread the scene. And this was number two that I went and did that. And I think actually what I liked about it the most, too, is it was kind of not super. There wasn't a ton of descriptions. Which led to me being able to use my imagination a little bit, because I feel like if there's too many explanations of things, then I'm like, Meh. but it was vague enough that I knew what was happening. But I could. Imagine. For like the umpteenth time in the review of this book. I will recommend you the audiobook version. I don't. Um, I can't. I share an Audible account with my mother. <laughs> she doesn't have to know it's smut. It's okay. <laughs> Actually, no. I sh- I could download it. I also listened to Ice Planet Barbarian on there. I just told her not to read it. <laughs> if you can do IPB, yeah, we can do OLS. <laughs> that was bad. I'm sorry. You tried. I love you. Thank you. Hello, <laughs> Now, moving on to chapter 10. Um, in the most traumatic roommate scenario I could ever imagine, Nico instantly picks up on August having slept with Jane and pokes oh, fun wait. at her. Don't forget about the restaurant ad. You go. <laughs> If you can't tell listeners, I'm on the document again and Lauren is not. So this is how we're going about the episode. So opening chapter 10, uh, we've just got the restaurant for Pancake Billy's House of Pancakes opening in 1973 with that very famous picture of Jane uh, serving customers. That's it. <laughs> That's all I have. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, now we move on to traumatic nightmare rotation roommate scenario where <laughs> Nico picks up on August having slept with Jane and which is like my nightmare. Um, 
if you could smell it in the air. Uh uh-uh. uh. No thanks. You. You. You're welcome. Ayo August, <laughs> you stink. You smell like a new woman. <laughs> But, you know, all jokes aside, they actually have a really powerful conversation about frigidity being a social heteronormative construct, which I really appreciated. I it did was write very down, nice. I wrote down virginity is a social construct and August ain't one. <laughs> so true. So true. I feel like that should be on a t-shirt. I like that. I've got 99 social heteronormative constructs of virginity in but a I bitch ain't one. one. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know, listener. That. If you want that on your shirt, that could be our first merch drop. <laughs> I would love that. Oh my god. But basically, uh, sort of at some point, like August is like unpacking her bag, uh, following their sort of um, sexcapade date. And she finds a pack of batteries in her bag and she immediately thinks, oh, maybe this is Jane's battery pack for her radio. She texts Jane about it and Jane says she's never had batteries for her electronics. Sus? Perhaps? Yes. August surmises from this conversation that whatever is going on with Jane may be electrically tied in nature to the Q train. We then have a conversation with our resident electrical engineering expert, Myla, who guesses that Jane is potentially tethered here because August is sort of like a constant. Now, I'm going to preface this entire section with saying I have a pea brain. And following this section about constants and electrical impulses and brain chemistry powering a train, not my strong suit. So please forgive me. Um, Basically. She basically says that whenever August and Jane sort of interact, touch, have sort of those like electrical, like neurotransmitter type sparks of attraction, it's literally like powering the train. When they're connecting, it's electrical impulses in Jane's brain that's sort of keeping her here wired to the Q train. The train stopping while they were having their sex campaign was Jane's electrical impulses while horny. So Sid was indeed correct. This is horny train time. But it's also right. Is is this why Jane's being seen throughout history horniness? Because I noticed that nine times out of ten, the people who were leaving things were, were people who were like beautiful lesbian on the train. What? Horny. Horny. But then there were two times where it was actually wholesome. So I was like, mm, not all of them. Just most. <laughs> Just most of them are thirsting after Jane. And I'm like, good for you, Jane. Oh, yes. But this concept sort of unsettles August, who now kind of wonders if their connection is driven by something other than natural attraction, like almost as if trying to say, is this sort of like process that's keeping Jane, quote unquote, here and alive, the reason why she's attracted to me? So this causes her to avoid the train for a bit, Um, but eventually she gets back on and tries to have a serious conversation with Jane about getting her to remember the day that she got stuck. But Jane is kind of immediately avoidant. She wants to take a lighter approach and literally slides her hand under August's skirt in the middle of fucking public. This, I'm going to take a time out and plot explanation. This, we discussed our feelings about 
PDA in the last episode. This was the only scene in this book that gave me a little bit of like a. Like I could not. For the life of me, I was like, ma'am, you're on a train. Ma'am, this is public indecency. Ma'am. Okay. You see? Uh-huh. Lauren, you have your jealousy thing. Mm. Care to share with the class? I think that's all I'll share. Everyone else can... So we have, to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Ash, we have a possessive jealousy kink in the house and a voyeurism kink in the house. That would be correct, Lauren. Thank you. Oh, my cat. (laughs) Callie's like, mother, please stop telling of all your kinks. (laughs) My child, it's okay. The world already knows. I digress. So you enjoyed the scene, I take it? Yes. Yes, I did. Were you also on a train for this scene? No, I was not. Surprisingly. Okay. Okay. Actually, wait. Yes, I was still on the train. Never mind. I'm... <laughs> I I looked back at my Goodreads for a second there because I tracked all of this. Yes, I was still on the train. And maybe, so maybe. after the after this chapter, I stopped because I was like, I can't have any more train sex scenes. <laughs> there were there were a fair few listeners. There were a few. <laughs> well, given that it's probably their only place that they could go, makes sense. <laughs> It is also a New York subway, so there are there were a few things where I was like, mm, that doesn't seem sanitary. <laughs> That's valid. Especially living That's- in a post-COVID world. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So uh they they just basically uh this sort of Sorry, my cat is mashing her face into my microphone. This basically we kind of get not a montage per se, but sort of like a glistening over sort of the weeks that transpire of August and Jane sort of taking the opportunities where they can to fondle in public. Um, (laughs) August starts keeping a separate journal of their sex sex sexcapades to, quote, know what Jane likes. (laughs) I love the sex notebook. I love it. It's brazen, for sure. But it's a very August thing to do, and I think that's why it's the best. I do love it. It does scream a little bit of like... To me, it was like almost like acts of service in the sense of like, even if I don't like it, I'm going to learn everything about what Jane likes, and then we're going to do it to please her. Which I was like, that's very interesting. The fact that she... Just the fact also that she's taking the time to write it down to remember delightful kind of hot that's it is kind all of hot. i have to say it's a little hot <laughs> kind of would like that. yeah that's um here's my here's my proposal for 2023 into 2024 we should all keep sex notebooks <laughs> mine would be empty <laughs> 
dry and sad like me. Little moth flying up. (laughs) Every time I open it, I have to blow across the pages. A layer of dust ascends into the atmosphere. Yeah. You would just open it and it's just like, ha ha. (laughs) Note to self. Use this notebook, please. Dash Lauren. (laughs) Yeah. We learned that Jane is a bit kinky, as we probably can tell, and really into mildly public sex. Uh, She also starts, or she being August, also starts looking into public records simultaneously uh, when she's out on the Q train, obviously, and finds that the last public record of Jane is when she worked at Billy's. Jane's government name sounds really familiar to August when she's looking up in government records, but she can't seem to place it. At some point, she caves and finally calls her mom, Suzette, and... Suzette immediately picks up on August's burgeoning crush on Jane, and despite the similarities between them and the parallels between Suzette and August, August still doesn't ask for help. Which I found a little interesting here, because Suzette is obviously, like, criminal minds level investigator, like, would probably, in my opinion, be glad to help August, like, figure out sort of what Jane's deal is. So I found it very interesting that August, like, deliberately just didn't bring it up and didn't include her mom in on it. Yeah, I didn't catch. I didn't catch that. That's a good point. I think it definitely was to scream to more of August, like independence of like I want to be different from my mom, but like obviously they're the same person in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating, nonetheless. It was a very subtle dynamic between them that I really liked. I also think it's just trauma, trauma. Because I I don't know if you remember, but in the earlier chapters, her mom literally didn't save any of her baby photos from when she was a baby, but she saved all the files on her dead uncle. Yeah. So, trauma. Trauma. Get a hard drive, Susie. I think she would also be worried that her mom would be like too obsessed with this, you know? I agree. Yeah. Or even trying to use Jane as a means of, like, helping out with the investigation uh, of their relative. So, a hundred percent, because she would have been like, did you know him? (laughs) Who do you know? Yeah. Where is Uh, he? (laughs) (laughs) It's July. It's now (laughs) Nico's birthday party because, of course, he's a cancer. They're all together on the train telling Jane about the story of Myla and Nico's meeting. And it turns out that Myla was actually in a relationship with a co-worker at a bar that she worked at when she met Nico. And then basically upon looking at Nico, dumped this ex on the spot, which is interestingly iconic. But we'll get into that a little later. It comes back the girl around. knows what she wants. And I get it. I don't even know what Nico looks like. And I'm like, mm. you would know, have done it too. Would have done it too. Uh, now they exit the train and the roomies, you know, minus Jane, of course, go to the bar where Myla and Nico met and attend a Christmas in July themed drag show that Isaiah starring as Annie DePresent and Winfield are both performing at. And basically, 
Wes is attending the show. And now, we, as we already mentioned, Wes is sort of like having this like, will they, won't they type crush on Isaiah. And Wes is basically like has these deep drunken filled conversations of like being afraid that everyone in the group is moving on in life without him. But he himself is also afraid of moving forward with like with himself and also progressing his relationship with Isaiah. And I know, I know this is kind of the first time we really peer into Wes's head. And I feel like I can relate a bit. I liked Wes a lot at this point. Mm -hmm. But we'll save that for a later chapter. What is the top of chapter 11, Sydney? Uh, We have a tweet from 2018. And... I love this. Um, iconically, I wrote down um, 911. How am I supposed to work now that I've seen uh, Angel in real life? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Talk about Jane. I wish. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we basically wake up in chapter. I know. We wake up in chapter Twitter. That's true. Twitter is the lands of like step on me, daddy. Side note, follow us at RPH podcast, twitter.com, where I will also be posting step on me, daddy type content. What about mommy? Sorry. <laughs> mommy? Mommy's, mommy's are more, I have a more respectful relationship with mommies. I would never, I don't deserve to be under their shoe. Hey, Lauren, I need you to look in the chat real quick and see what Nico looks like. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Wait, I'm actually. One more coming in. Oh, oh, oh. I have such a crush right now. You don't even know. <laughs> so, for everyone in the chat that can't see us squealing and kicking our little footsies. Um, we're getting fan art of Nico and Myla, and it is the most amazing thing we've <laughs> ever seen. I'm so happy right now. Do they need a third? This one is for you, Sid. Oh, please. Gimme, 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 gimme. <gasps> Why is that me? Why am I what August? I'm stunned. This where's my this is beautiful. Where, where's my tall butch Asian angel? I need her. True. Oh my god. Your tall butch Asian angel is a white boy of moderate height. Very true. That, Very true. <laughs> oh I did I do have a golden retriever boyfriend. Gamer boyfriend. Yep. I'm currently. I am the stereotype. <laughs> Sorry, give me one moment as I save this image of Nico under my eyes only folder. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Thank you. It's okay. I'm okay to be the stereotype, though, of the bi girl who uh, is dating the golden retriever boyfriend. Give her boyfriend. We salute you. Fuck. Sorry. 
I'm down bad. All right. So anyway, get it. I get it. Anywho, um, we wake up in chapter 11, uh, literally, because the entire bungalow crew has fallen asleep drunkenly on the couch in their apartment house thing. And this is interesting because August does not remember going to sleep on the couch. The last thing they all remember is sort of like a drunken induced trip to Popeye's at an ungodly hour of the morning. And when they all wake up, Lucy, of all people, is sort of sitting in their kitchen just making breakfast. And we find out that Lucy was the one that sort of like lovingly and motheringly took them all back safe and home uh, to the bungalow and sort of kept an eye on them, which was really, really sweet. We also find out that her hours have recently been reduced at Billy's because, well, he can't afford to pay her as much as she deserves. And this sparks a larger conversation of what they as a community can do to band together to help Billy's. And they ultimately decide on a charity drag show. I love it. I do love it. Now, now we switch gears a little bit to later when August's mom gives her a call to let her know that her grandmother, Suzette's mom, has passed. This was such a hard scene. Yeah, this was a really heavy hitting scene for sure. Um, We learn right off the bat that at least on Suzette's side, there's not much love lost there. Um, We learn that her relationship with her parents was very strained um, for both her and her brother, Augie. And that there were a lot of differences about like tradition and value. Suzette even comments that since she was a single mother who had August um, out of like, quote unquote, like traditional heteronormative means of reproduction, that this, you know, was sort of what set the relationship on ice and that that's why she sort of kept August away from her grandparents. However, there's a twist in this conversation when Suzette reveals that August's grandparents had been paying her tuition for school all of these years when August was under the impression that her mother was doing it because her mom constantly complained about money being really tight. As it turns out, Suzette had been funneling their family funds into this investigation for Augie and very little of it was actually going into, you know, their future as a family and August's future. There's a heated argument where August finds out that her mom had basically isolated her from her grandparents and held them financially bound to the investigation of her brother, basically for selfish reasons. Her grandparents loved her. Her grandparents wanted a relationship with August, and Suzette was basically the one that stood in the way of it. And this was tough. This was a very hard read. Um, What were your thoughts, Sid? I it was really, really hard for me to read through. Um, We have we get I think Suzette, we learn later that. It was for a a couple of valid reasons to keep August away because her her Suzette's parents were not in any sense good people, but Suzette is coming from a lot of trauma that she's placed upon her own daughter and that is just unacceptable really um and it get it, you can just it gets to a point with her and her mental health that you're standing there just being like you've got to move on you've got to you got to stop it's over kind of thing just it's time to move on from Augie and 
be present with the people that are in your life and are alive and are definitely here, you know? And I feel like mm-hmm. it just felt like a moment where I felt for August and just being like, even though her parents were, her grandparents were shitty people, she still should have had the option to make that connection. That should have been her choice. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her mom was kind of blackmailing them and basically using them to funnel a very selfish and destructive obsession in which August didn't really benefit. So, I mean, Suzette was trying to protect, protect her daughter from awful people. And I get that, but the way she went about it was not what it was damaging to August. And I felt, I felt really bad for her. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It was hard. It was hard to read through. Very well said. Yeah. And obviously this sticks with August for a bit. The next day, she actually plans to mail the manila folder that her mom had mailed her a few months back uh, regarding, you know, the case of searching for missing Augie uh, back to her mom. Um, so she never opened it past the first page anyway. And she's on the Q train with Jane and they're sort of talking about it. Jane's carving their names into the subway seats, being all cute and shit. When she tells August to do the same of like, oh, you carve your initial next to mine. August takes out this knife, this pocket knife that was a gift or like a family heirloom that was passed down uh, from Augie. And Jane recognizes this knife and a flood of memories come back and Jane realizes that Augie was her roommate from New Orleans which is that was a shock that I was not personally uh, expecting. I, I was not but it made perfect sense absolutely uh, yeah to explain a little bit um Basically, one night in New Orleans in 1973, Augie was heading out to a shift at an upstairs gay bar and lounge that he worked at. And ultimately, there was an arson attack on the bar. And supposedly, Augie died with the 31 other men that were in that bar. And because of the, you know, the climate of, you know, being gay or queer at this time, Basically, like these men were buried in unmarked graves and a lot of them were closeted and excommunicated from their family. And there really wasn't anyone there to mourn them. And Jane sort of that's what prompted her to leave New Orleans. And it was it was shattering uh, to read this and know of Augie's fate, like of all things, you know. Yeah, um, I remember texting Ashlyn and just being like, I I had to put the book down for a bit. And I went and cried for a bit just because it it broke my heart. Yeah. Um, And I kind of wanted to take like this somber moment to kind of talk about pride in general, um, because this is kind of meant to be um, our, our two pride episodes in celebration of LGBTQIA pride. And this is kind of just a reminder to everyone out there that pride really started 
it, it is now what it is because of all the sacrifices people in the community had to make to gain the rights that we now have today. And it started as a riot. It started as a protest against people who were trying to harm, kill, and closet um, LGBTQIA people. I really encourage, if you are listening to this episode, to kind of further your knowledge on LGBTQIA history. Um, I highly recommend a book I recently listened to called The Stonewall Reader. Um, It was done by the New York Public Library, and it's um, a collaboration with a bunch of LGBTQIA artists and people who were actually at the Stonewall. And I think it's also an important story because it does talk about how the community has become more tolerant of more people's identities and how people of color were actually kind of taken out of the movement. And same thing with drag queens and trans people. Um, So just remember that Pride is a celebration, but we started as a way to protest all of the hate that was in this world. And we still have a long way to go, but be out, be proud. And remember that you have a community around you and that you love you. Um, my cat is trying to ruin my sad monologue though by knocking, I think, a spoon off the counter. I mean, I already said it once, but very well said. Um, yeah, I don't have much to add to that other than absolutely echoing all of the sentiments and also saying, of course, be out and be proud, but also be safe as well for folks that aren't in a position to be out, you know, we hear you, we see you and we love you and you're just as valid. Mm -hmm. I am. On that note, are you ready to kick us off for chapter 12? I am. Uh, so we get a chapter 12 actually opens with a news clipping from the 1973, which is a picture of the third New Orleans Pride. And it has Jane in it, of course. And but it does mention the lounge arson crime. Uh, or August boards the Q train one morning and finds Jane um, had busted her lip. Uh, she's looking very rough and tumbled. And upon questioning, Jane reveals that she got in a fight on the Q train earlier. A man had heard hurled some slurs at her. August wants to call the authorities to intervene in the situation, but Jane vehemently refuses. Something's off about this conversation, and Jane is growing very quickly defensive. She gets very upset that she didn't get to see her family and basically had to sit back and watch her life go by. She feels like she died and has to relive the life that she never got to mourn. And it's a very heated conversation of August just sort of taking the brunt of a lot of what I would assume is like both tumultuous resurfacing, but also repressed emotions that Jane has had about the situation. And ultimately, Jane snaps at August for acting like she knows everything about Jane and treating her like a project to fix and forcing her to remember something that it would have been so much more easy to be ignorant about. And she basically implores August to stop trying to help her and accuses her of doing all this just so that Jane would stay in the present 
for August, basically accusing her of having selfish intentions. August is fairly quiet for the most part in this argument, but her last words are sort of pretty profound for me. And I I wrote it down and basically her last words before she leaves the Q train is fine, but just know that I did this for you, not me. A few days pass and August has been throwing herself into the charity drag fundraiser as a distraction from the argument with Jane. But as she's working in Pancake Billy's, an old pipe explodes in the kitchen and in a hurry to fix it, Jerry, the the line cook, goes into the back rooms and finds this sort of conspiracy theory-esque mindfuck investigation room that August has built in trying to discern these like public records and photos of Jane from Pancake Billy's. And Jerry, who, bear in mind, listeners, many moons ago, many chapters ago, has stated explicitly when August showed him the picture of Jane at the opening of Pancake Billy's in the 70s, literally was like, oh, I don't know who that is. You know, like he just did it. He just kind of dismissed it. Now says upon seeing this like conspiracy theory room, quote, why do you have a picture of Jane? So basically, Jerry reveals that he was kind of ashamed at first to admit that he knew Jane because it brought up a lot of painful memories in a sense. Um, basically, Jerry tells August that. Um, that Jane, you know, him and Jane have been friends for a while. Sort of their dynamic was hanging out after shifts at Pancake Billy's and getting drunk together and just, you know, lamenting a lot life. And one day Jane tells Jerry that she was planning on moving out of New York, of leaving. This is in July of 1977, saying that she'd heard from the friend she hadn't heard from in a long time. Jerry and her gets drunk for one last hurrah. And while they were taking the Q train, he fell onto the tracks. Now, Jane, like, leaps out to save him, like, dragging him in by his collar. But then there was, at that moment, a blackout in New York. And the basically the entire city, but certainly the train as well, was descended into utter chaos. He sort of fled the scene and, like, stumbling his way back home, like, trying to get home safely and never heard from Jane again. Now, August uses this conversation to put the pieces together and discover that Augie didn't die in the fire in New Orleans. And that it's very possible that he was the one who went back to Cali and sent a letter to Jane, like telling her that this is where he is, this is where he's going, like, come find me. So she brings this information to her roommates and this sort of sparks a larger conversation of like, okay, this is clearly the moment when Jane got stuck in this like time loop type thing on the Q train. We should recreate the blackout of 1977. However, bear in mind, listeners, that they're on a tight timeline. The Q train line is scheduled to power down for maintenance in September. They're only a couple of months away. And Jane, basically, if they don't make this time, Jane may because of August connection keeping her here. If August can't ride the train, Jane is no more. Now, the chapter ends on, I will say, a very sweet note after a lot of revelation and hardship. Jane requests a song on the radio to apologize to August. It's very sweet. The the disc jockey basically is like, you know, this is for August. Jane, who says she's sorry. And Jane at that moment texts her to, quote, come back. Now. Sydney, 
I do want to ask, what did you think of the whole Jerry revelation? Because I have some feelings. <laughs> so I thought it was a little bit random because, I mean, mm-hmm. I get not wanting to like bring it up because, you know, you're embarrassed about it. But if someone's like randomly like, hey, who's that? I would have told someone, you know, but I'm also not Jerry. So. <laughs> yeah. It felt a little bit like plot convenience to me. I'm not going to lie. Like there were a lot of like sound plot elements throughout this novel, like twists and turns I did expect and didn't expect. But all in all, it made a lot of sense. This was the one point in the novel for me where I was like. I feel like there are better ways that this revelation could have happened instead of, oh, yeah, I just didn't want to tell you because I'm embarrassed. Yeah, I don't know. It felt a bit like a throwaway to me. He, He did say it was because it's because he was an alcoholic. And then after Jane saved him, he never drank again. Hmm. Yeah. So That's I'm like, fair. I kind of get not wanting to go back to that time because maybe it was it was a bad time in your life. Obviously, if you're an alcoholic, like that's not the best time in your life. Um. Mm. So. Sorry, super quick interruption. Um, This is like something people mo- don't know unless they're in substance use treatment. So like we try to phase out terms like alcoholic because um, it's like stigmatizing oh. language. Um, yeah, so we, we usually, we don't say the words as like a quick little aside lesson. Uh, we don't say, this is stuff I didn't learn till my job. We don't say words like getting clean, addict, druggy, junkie, um, crackhead, alcoholic, like stuff like that. Uh, I think the easiest go-to phrase would be like someone who has like, you know, who is addicted to alcohol, uh, like person-centered language, but yeah, no food for thought. The more, you know, with Dr. Lauren, the more, you know. Well, not quite Dr. Lauren. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Six years down the road, call me. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Cool. I'll be in your uh, waiting room. Just going. So I think it all started with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, as much as I want to talk about this, I can't see you because that's malpractice. But here's my colleague that'll do a great job. Thanks. <laughs> Hopefully by that time, I'll still be with my current therapist who, who is great. I love her. Shout out to her. I don't know you, but I love you. (laughs) She may listen to the podcast, so. Yeah. I won't drop her name because I feel like that'd be a breach of client and doctor. Can I break? Can I break OSHA regulations as a patient? Not OSHA. HIPAA, you mean? HIPAA. (laughs) It's okay. No, I don't believe so. Because like you, you have to like sign contracts under HIPAA to be bound by HIPAA, and I don't think patients do. Fuck HIPAA. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Uh, but what have we got for the top of chapter thirteen? On the chapter head of thirteen, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, chapter 13. Uh, oh, we have a transcript, uh, a radio transcript of Jane requesting Love of My Life by Queen. Good taste, Jane. Little heart. I love it. I love it so much. Top of this chapter, August does come back. She gets back on the train and reunites with Jane. Both of them apologize, August admitting that her interests in helping Jane are ultimately selfish at the end of the day, and Jane admitting that her anger was just being scared to embrace a new life and accepting that the old one 
is probably gone. They agree to continue to investigate her past and August spends the remainder of the ride catching Jane up on modern times and working towards keeping her in the present. Can I just say what my favorite line is in this entire book? Yes, please. My favorite line that Jane says, which it, I, oh, it, but the thought of, um, but the thought of staying with you doesn't scare me at all. It's so good. <laughs> I love these babies. I want these love confessions. I love all I the love confessions without saying I love you. <laughs> I, this is literally the telltale mark of sapphic romance. Like, we love to see it. It's dramatic, it's messy, and yet so intense and lovable at the same time. Exactly. It's the buildup of the relationship, which is the best part of this. So good. Hmm. At this moment, August sort of recounts her conversation. Wait, sorry. Oh. Before we start, I have a question, and I thought this would be funny. <laughs> okay. After the 21st century thing. Um, so I wrote, okay, but if you had to int- uh, introduce someone to 21st century things, would you choose the Fast and the Furious franchise? <laughs> Thank you for bringing this up. Hell, hell no. <laughs> hell no. I may share a birthday with Paul Walker, rest his soul. No. Absolutely not. Okay. Second question. What modern movie would you introduce to someone um, that has been lost in time since the 70s? Pin it by Christopher Nolan. It's the same shit, different font. I, I have Tokyo Drift soundtrack downloaded on <gasps> my phone. <laughs> I wonder if you know how they live in Tokyo. Thank you. I'm trying to think Dang. what would I, what would my movie be if I had to introduce someone from the 70s to modern things. See, the classic answer is Star Wars, but Star Wars no, Star Wars came out in the 80s. We miss Star Wars. Damn. Jane missed Star Wars. Ashlyn, you don't have to look look it up because this is about to date my parents. My parents were teenagers when Star Wars came out, so it definitely didn't come out in the seventies because my parents were literally chill were babies. The first Star Wars movie came out in nineteen seventy seven. The year she went missing. What month? Because <laughs> she got yeeted in July of seventy seven. Yeah. think may so she did get to see it damn it damn she didn't she didn't see the rest of them exactly may 25th 1977 damn but would have been hit by then that's the question i would i would show her rocky horror picture show (laughs) that's a good one because that's a gay anthem of a movie and i feel like jane would love it See, that's you being like actually. Mm. Damn it. (laughs) See, I was going to say that's you being like nice and like wanting to actually broaden Jane's Horizons. Me, I'm trying to fast track this shit and being like, listen here. 
we're going to sit down and watch this movie that's exactly just straight men that are a little bit homoerotic doing the same shit that we are. And Robert Pattinson's beautiful in this movie. We're going to watch it like three times until we understand it because I'm a little bit too to not to not get it the first couple of times. And then we're going to recreate this and then problem solved. Ashlyn, what did you just send us? <laughs> I saw that notification. No. <laughs> I'm posting that to our socials as soon as this recording is done. It is a picture, a picture, a picture of Peter Henwood from Rocky Horror uh, featuring mm-hmm. Lauren's line, a little bit homoerotic. Yep. If I, if any of you listeners have seen Timmit, you know what I mean? It's a little gay. <laughs> See, we could just also watch Brokeback Mountain, which is two supposedly straight men. You're right. Love. I like that one. <laughs> or just show her any of the MCU movies and be like, here you go. You figure it out. You're like oh, Captain boy. America. <laughs> Jane is just America's the- ass. She um Jane is the Q's ass. You see that picture? What ass? She got. Hey, don't got to be a big ass. It's got to be an ass. She's built like me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! Oh no! I would show her. (laughs) This bit is going on for too long, and I love it. (laughs) Having Um, fun. That's all that matters. We could also show her any of the Taylor Swift music videos and just be like, do you think she's gay? People think she is. You remember at the beginning of this episode where I begged you guys for a shorter episode? Yeah. Yeah. Continuing on, Lauren. (laughs) I got you. I got you. So she reminds Jane of the whole Jerry falling from the train story. And Jane remembers that she also tripped on the tracks when saving Jerry and that there was a train hurtling towards her body that was thrown across the rails. This is a little more dramatic than it actually was, but whatever. Um, and she must have touched down on the rail at the exact moment of the blackout and got warped through time. Now, we kind of going through this like theory, assuming this is right. We return to August consulting with Myla, who has been poking around her Columbia classmate for a connection to the train transformer. Basically, again, to remind everyone, we are trying to recreate the blackouts. And I think the plan at this point is to have Jane sort of be touching the rails very similarly to what happened. And in order to do so, they need like to get into the train a controller room. Now, as it turns out, Myla's ex, you know, the one she dumped Nico for on the spot, works at the train control center. She proposes that enlisting her ex to help them shut down the Q train connectors under the guise of the, quote, community art project slash charity drag show. Now, meanwhile, Jane starts jumping onto the railway tracks. Oh, yes, it is. Say, in Myla's defense, they did need a bigger venue. 
They did. And a train was not, you know, not where my mind goes, but I was down with it. No, the train stop, wasn't it? It was just like one of the old decommissioned. It was like the depot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which kind of baller for for, uh, a drag like charity event. I, I would be down. That's true. But in preparation for this, they get Jane to start jumping onto the railway tracks to see if, you know, she stays. Because at this point, we've established that anytime she tries to leave the Q train, she just kind of like disappears and reappears in one of the other cars or you name it. Turns out that the third rail is what keeps her there because she conducts the electricity on this one specific rail. This leads us to believe that this is the rail she fell on at the time of the blackout. and. They sort of play around with it, her and August, and we realize that Jane can walk for a while on this third rail. But as soon as they start to actually like exit sort of the queue line, Jane is prevented from leaving entirely. It's almost like this weird, like invisible wall type feeling that she describes. Um, Long story short, they discover this. Her and August sit on the rail together, the operating rail, and wait for the next queue train. And at this time, it's kind of like a cute impromptu date, you know, they get to really know each other. They're asking questions without for once being under the guise of like getting to know Jane and uncover her past until they're chased out by a train employee and hop on the rail to have sex. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. How does chapter Um, 14 start, my love? A minute. Um, Oh, I think we also um, just want to remember, too. This is just a point I just remembered. Uh, Back when Jane and August were kind of talking after they're reconnecting, uh, Jane talks about Augie quite a bit and says, like, he kind of lost himself. Um, But he was slowly getting into a better place. But he always was writing to um, his sister. And this was and this is revealed after um, Augie had left to California, basically in the postcard that Jane got. Augie said that he left and he was in a really bad place for those five years and then kind of found himself again, found a footing, found a found a partner, told Jane where he was. And that was when she wanted to move out to California. Mm -hmm. Back to California, because that's when the gay scene started being acceptable mm-hmm. very good catch i obviously missed the most important parts of this book um, this is why we have the document <laughs> listen this is more fun <laughs> all, right, all right so chapter 14 we actually opened with uh, another missed connections post but this one is in 2004 um and a woman wants to thank jane for giving her son a gay 70s pride pin because her son was really struggling with bullying and stuff. And and Jane kind of noticed that. And yeah, she gave away one of her pins that she famously wears on her lapel of her leather jacket to this boy. And oh, it made my heart happy. It was really sweet. You know what doesn't make my heart happy? Myla's ex. Yeah. Gabe. Who we learn, yeah, who we learn is fucking named Gabe. That's a beta name. Nico no, are named Gabe. 
Nico sexy. Delicious. Delightful. Mysterious. Gabe sounds like a guy who works at a hot dog stand. No offense to all you hot dog connoisseurs out there. That's just not Milo's cup of tea. Ugh. But basically, it's... <laughs> Mila agrees to meet up with Gabe and August sort of attends like sort of like from afar just to make sure you know Mila are you good is this guy gonna lose his marbles because all we know is that Gabe sort of took the dumping really hard and has blocked Mila on all socials now basically August immediately clocks that Gabe is sort of looking forlornly after Mila after she leaves so it's very clear that Gabe is still into her it turns out that he blocked her on socials because he couldn't stand her doing well without him which not very alpha of you Gabe but ultimately very beta very beta (laughs) now on their way back Mila encourages August to be honest with Jane about her feelings and to stop running from the possibility of being sad what we mean by this is that August has been delaying the inevitable because she fears that Jane will be zapped back to the 70s and that there's sort of no point pursuing anything when heartbreak is on the horizon and Milo just sort of reminds her that sometimes that's what love is all about. The honesty of the feelings and just sitting with the sad because the happiness is worth it while it's still here. Like literally the exact quote is sometimes the point is to be sad, August. Sometimes you have to feel it because it deserves to be felt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was like, damn, Milo. <laughs> so profound. Very. <laughs> I love it. Now, there's more work and sort of going on for the fundraiser. Wes finally allows August into his room during this time, um, which is like an anticlimactic reveal (laughs) IMO of what Wes has been living like in his little hobbit hole. Um, And they get to know each other. We learned that Wes is from good old Rhode Island and reveals that he's estranged from his parents, uh, basically for being a quote-unquote disappointment, um, at which point he felt like he wasn't good enough, wasn't receiving love from his parents, and left to pursue his own sort of like destiny, not to be dramatic, uh, for New York at the age of 18. And this reminds August of his past comments about not wanting to disappoint Isaiah. So, trauma follows these people. (laughs) Is the lesson of the day. I wrote down uh, Wes and August put up posters and bond over family trauma. (laughs) Good summary. Uh, But yeah, rounding out this chapter, August and Jane have another heart to heart um, on the railroad tracks. And instead of saying the L word, which we will not be saying, um, they kiss and they like cry at the fear of losing each other. um, And they settle instead for quote, I was really lonely before I met you. Very cute. Weak. 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 What is the top of chapter 15? This one's a really sad one. Uh, So chapter 15. (laughs) No, I mean like the opening. It's a social media post. And Jane is in like the background of it. I think it was just like a photo. But the caption reads about this person's father and how they want to create a connection after the death of their mother. And I was like... Oh, wow. <laughs> Ow. Yeah. <laughs> Sad vibes going into this Billy's drag fundraiser show. 
<laughs> it is in fact the day of the fundraiser and their secret plan to get Jane off the Q train. Turns out that Gabe has successfully pulled strings to have the fundraiser in the train station depot. Billy and Co. You know, long story short, pancake house people um, are hustling to prep. I shit you not pancakes for 2000 people. Which is a lot of buttercream pancakes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that back. You're welcome. I never forget. Um, The queens are getting ready out of their trailers and the bungalow gang are keeping security guards at bay as much as they can. And Myla, meanwhile, is literally dodging Gabe like the plague and his incessant glares at Nico, which I found hilarious. I was like, get a life. Um, Yeah. While August is plotting to sneak off onto the Q train. Now, then they launch sort of their plan into action. Uh, Myla's plan is to distract Gabe in order to nab his like security clearance badge. And that fails absolutely miserably. Long story short, Gabe basically goes on like this like entrepreneurial type, like business boy rant about like odd flavored vapes. I'm talking like buffalo wings and like stuff that the you should never be inhaling. <laughs> yeah, the savory jewel pods. <laughs> it's nasty. Um, I also don't know if you remember this part, but Gabe was like meant to run out an errand and <laughs> um, August slashed all four of his tires so that he would have to go get them changed until it would take him longer. And I was like, you go, girl. I probably reeks of buffalo wild wings type vape. <laughs> Oh, definitely. <laughs> Probably got Cheeto yes. dust all over the steering wheel. Oh, gross. But yeah, they're basically trying to delay Gabe. They're trying to get his badge. And ultimately, when Myla's plane fails, August literally fumbles into him with a whole bunch of pancake batter um, to nab his badge. And of course, he's like, this suit is expensive. And she's like, I'll pay for it. And he's like, no, it's fine. But like very much like rich boy swagger. Gross. And I love August's comment right after that. Just because I don't understand how this was my list type at one point. I know. I'm like, she's gone through a lot of growth. (laughs) Yes. Long story short, they get the badge successfully. And August boards the train just in time. And has... you're missing yeah. a big part, Lauren. What? Milo proposes to Nico. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, at this point, I didn't write the, the not irrelevant, but like side plot stuff down because I was breast for time. No, it's okay. Because <laughs> I remember this. And she basically is like, I will marry you like if. if like remember I'll marry you and da 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 and and he goes like did you just propose to me and she goes I guess I did and then he goes dang it I have a ring at home and I was like <laughs> they're so cute they're so fucking cute I love them to death love them so much at the same time Isaiah and Wes sort of like have a moment as well don't they yes they do yes they do <laughs> it's all um, coming to a head and yeah, um, because August can't nearly go to the queue line because she gets caught up by, was it Winifred or was it? Oh, what was her name? 
her manager. Oh, Lucy. It was Lucy. Lucy was like, we need your help. Da, 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 da. And Annie comes up and she's like, I'll do it. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I'll help mm-hmm. you guys. And Wes just goes, I love you. And Wes is like, okay, I'm going to kiss you real quick. And then we're going to talk about this later. And I was just like, oh, all my favorite couples were getting together. And I was so happy. It was very cute. So cute. Yeah. And speaking of getting together, once August boards the train, she has an emotional moment with Jane. They literally exchange parting gifts. Jane gives her her leather jacket and August gives her a Polaroid of them. It was so cute. Get up. Ugh. And yeah. then, it, do you remember what the distraction was that Wes had to pull so that Milo could get into the control center? No. Here's our arson trigger. <laughs> because Wes... <laughs> here's the arson uh, trigger. Because Wes commits arson. Again. <laughs> right. That's right. To be fair... I think the arson trigger is supposed to be for the gay bar that gets burned down, but I this think is so. so funny. <laughs> Basically, he starts a fire because there's a lot of alcohol in a trash can, and then Wes throws his cigarette in there. Love to see it. I love it. We love to see it. The distraction happens. Myla gets at the control booth and through like a phone call is like consulting with August and Jane. Um, basically like as she's trying to fuck with the transformer and she basically like tries to tell them when to time Jane's jump off of the train and onto the third rail in order to time it with the blackout. Now Jane does jump off the train. They're sort of like preparing to like sort of have this like final moment of like, we don't know what's about to happen. Are you going to get sat back to the seventies or in the present? And we finally get the L word. My listeners, we finally get as August and Jane basically have a quote, you're the love of my life confession. I was like, I'm sorry. That's gay. (laughs) (laughs) Officer, right over there. They're lesbians. No, they just love each other. They're sapphics. (laughs) They're sapphics. Get them. Get them. And they love each other. It was so sweet. And with that, Myla sends a power surge through the train station. And while there is like a momentary, like, you know, fucking of electricity, it doesn't work. And Jane starts to look not good. Um, basically looking very ghostly. She's looking very pallid, like colors draining from her face. She's like almost like becoming like transparency-ish and like Uh, like very difficult to hold on mentally as well and in order to hold jane anchored in the moment where myla is working currently to send a second power surge august bravely jumps down from the train to stand with her in the third rail and in one of the best moments of the book in my opinion she says it's always been you and they kiss and then the power surges It's so good. It's so good. Oh, oh my gosh. I wish you could have seen me in the moment when I read that. And I was like, huh. Would I ever do this for someone? No. But 
All power to the lesbian. Let's go lesbians. Let's go lesbians. <laughs> well, I mean, August isn't a lesbian. We're, we're not trying to do bi erasure here, but. Let's, but go, let's lesbians. go lesbians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we start <gasps> chapter 16, penultimate chapter? It's Augie's last letter to Suzette in 1973. Well, the last one that she received. Yeah. Ow. Owie. Owie's owie. I was already I was already like in a very like emotional state at this point. So that on top of it, I was like, ow. I know. Now, August wakes up with Jane's jacket draped over her. Apparently, Wes and Isaiah had found August on the tracks, but Jane was nowhere in sight. Supposedly, they all believe that she was sent back to the 70s, as suspected. Pride. I know. I tried so hard. Oh, I was sobbing. I was like, no. I will say, I don't think I was as affected by this because, like I said earlier in, like, last episode, I... I feel like I, I kind of get a sense of like the tone of certain romance books. And I felt like this one would not have a sad ending. So I was like, all right, there's more. There's still time on this audiobook. What's about to happen? <laughs> I, but it was a very powerful moment. It was very powerful. And honestly, I would have been happy with if. Spoiler alert, if the. Um, if the book ended that way or not. I think that would have been very, a very powerful ending had the book actually ended that way. Absolutely. I would have been surprised if it ended that way, but I would have liked it. Like, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to me. Yeah. For sure. Um, I was about to ask the audience to suggest uh, one romance book in which it, it's a sad ending, but I don't know if I can emotionally take that. <laughs> I have suggested off the air. <laughs> We we can talk about it a different day. We can talk about it a different day. Okay. I love sad endings. <laughs> I don't. I cry I, very easily. I love cannot tell. I've cried multiple times in this book. Oh, I love it. Well, the rest, oh, the majority of this chapter is sort of recounting how August spends the next three months without Jane in pretty much utter heartbreak. The only sign of Jane that we hear from is one week in after her disappearance, when August is listening to the radio, trying to hear the same frequency that they normally listen to. And one day at random, she hears a request from Jane that was placed before the fundraiser night. And it's dedicated to August as per usual. And it's my love. My life, my queen. I'm tearing up right now, just remembering this. Oh. Yeah, it, it only gets sadder. Um, <laughs> no! Nico comforts her every day with tea. He finally tells her what he, and one day he finally tells her like sort of what he sensed in her the first time they touched. If you recall the very beginning of the book, her first meeting with Nico and kind of what kickstarted this whole thing is Nico introducing himself as a psychic touching August and then never really explaining what it is that he sees. He finally tells her 
that when they first touched, he sensed, quote, pain, a lot of it behind you and a lot of it ahead of you. And he's he apologizes for not telling her any sooner. At some point in October, her mom finally visits. And while the reunion is initially very awkward because, you know, they haven't really spoken since their blowout fight, they rekindle and grow in their relationship. Suzette apologizes for some of her shortcomings. August tells her about Jane. And also tells her about Augie. As it turns out, in the time that Jane has been gone, August has done some digging into Augie. And what sort of possibly could have happened to him after they discovered that he survived and was supposedly in California. Turns out that Augie did end up passing, but it was much later than they suspected. In a car wreck, I believe it was in the 80s. Is that right, Sid? Yeah, it was right after Jane disappeared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he died in a car wreck, uh, sort of, you know, on like a a road trip kind of gathering. I I think that was kind of like the vibe. Um, But it was assumed that he died happy. It's a much, and he lived a life. It's a much better ending than what their initial impression was. And sort of this gives a lot of closure to Suzette and sort of ending that chapter. Suzette needs to go to therapy and not pick up other hobbies like she was suggesting. True. God, yeah. Hashtag therapy for Suzette. Well, she's just like, haha, wasn't this like a quirky part of my personality? And I'm like, girlfriend. (laughs) Girl, you manipulated your child into becoming a full-time investigator for you, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. you also, oh, from what I understood, she was she didn't even work for the police. Like, she just bugged them a lot. Yes. And then she complained so, about them catching an attitude. Yeah, no, it's just like, girl, go to therapy. You just inherited yeah. your debt, your, like, you just got inheritance money from your dead mom, so. <laughs> Use it for therapy. <laughs> dead mom therapy. <laughs> I know. And just when we think this chapter literally can't be more of a Debbie Downer, we do learn that Billy's did generate enough money from the charity drag fundraiser to stay open, to pay off the 100K lease. And there is a party in which the staff and patrons and. Wait, 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 wait. What? You're not correct. They they got they saved some money, but not all of it. And August receives inheritance money from her grandmother and she put mm. and she uses all of the inheritance money into saving Billy's. Oh, but she, does it, but she does it anonymously. So they don't know who the anonymous donation is. Oh, see, I'm going to be so real. I was on a time crunch. I was listening to this to 2x speed, uh, which is a speed in which I can't comprehend it. And I was rapidly Goodbye. trying to take notes at the same time. This I'm is why I'm here. Thank it's you. Okay. This is why I'm here and why we have the document. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not looking at that shit. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> I refuse. After Ashlyn, um, I worked so hard. <laughs> listen, everything that I'm saying right now, I wrote down as well. I wrote a script for myself. It's okay. I work hard okay, too. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Now, yes, so August apparently made an anonymous donation from the inheritance money to round out the funds for Billy's, and they all have a party to celebrate. And at this party, 
Jane, of all people, suddenly reappears walking through the doors. And her came back. Yeah. It, it's only been a second for Jane, apparently, but three months for August. I just wrote down, I'm not crying. You are. Yeah. And is there something at the start of chapter 17? I can't remember. Well, I think you're forgetting all the banging sex they have right after they reunite. <laughs> I chose not to write that down deliberately. I did not forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have a lot of really good sex after they reunite because Jane is finally able to lay down on a bed for the first time in nearly 50 years. I do believe this is in chapter 17. I is think. it in chapter 17? Yeah, the first thing I wrote under 17 is August takes Jane home and they have wild sex in the bedroom. Oh, yeah, I did write love the sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Never mind. Um, beginning of chapter 17 um, is, ju- is a 1976 photo of Billy's. Yeah. And then they have wild sex. And then they have wild sex. And I'm like, you go, girls. <laughs> you go, girls. I will say. I'm personally, I'm going to, I don't know about you, Sid. I'm also going to choose to keep this chapter vague in the sense of like. I almost want listeners to read this book and enjoy chapter 17 for themselves. Because. Yeah. It truly was, I think, one of the best, like, quote unquote, epilogue type scenes I have seen in a romance novel before, because I feel like a lot of times when romance novels, at least for me, sort of end and have like the after like, where are they now? What have they been up to type scenes? It feels a little like throwaway bow on the present to me. This actually felt purposeful, enjoyable butterflies in the tummy kicking your little tootsies love and just know, readers, readers, fuck, listeners, it's a bunch of domestic bliss and sort of progressing in life together. Both of them each growing apart, but also together, not apart, sorry, so individually, but also together in a relationship mm-hmm. and rediscovering bits about Jane's past that are very much still in the present discovering aspects of August and the career and the life that she wants to set for herself and where she feels that she truly belongs. And. Overall. Yeah, you go. I was just going to say also the growth of August finding her family. Like this is a very found family ending where everyone is just. They're growing all together, but they're also all growing within their own relationships and individually. And I don't know. A found family is my favorite trope of all time. So just seeing them all together and just the whole thing just it made my heart so happy. I know. Yeah. And I believe that brings us to a close of our Summary and review of One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Chlin, do you have some questions for us? Yes. (laughs) Okay. 
So the first question I'm going to ask you guys comes from the reading guide that Casey McQuiston actually wrote to go along with the book for like book clubs. Do you think that Jane and August would have the same connection without Augie, August's uncle, linking them together? Oh. I did consider this personally because while I did not expect the twist of Augie and Jane being intertwined, I did pick up on in the novel, like Jane's familiarity and mentions of New Orleans. And I figured there would be some kind of tie there. I'm not going to lie. My original guess was that it was going to be some like back to the future type ish where Jane like fucked August's mom. But she was a I child. Was, <laughs> I was proven wrong. Thank you. Um Thank God. <laughs> yeah. But I will say because the revelation of Jane having known Augie happens quite a bit after they've already sort of like confessed their feelings and sort of like established the first dips into a relationship, it would be hard for me to like justify like Augie being the the crux of their relationship. Um, I definitely think it like, you know, supported like the interest and the drive and like getting to know Jane and like getting to save her and all that stuff. I don't think it like sustained their relationship. But what about you, Sydney? I would agree with that. And then I just thought to myself, wait, but the main reason that Mila was theorizing that Jane was staying here in the present and like being present with August was because she sensed that familiarity with Augie in August. Mm-hmm. So I would agree with you to the extent of what, like uh, with what you're saying, yes, hundred percent, like in a relationship wise in the world building wise that McQuiston was kind of setting up. I don't think, I think if Augie, wasn't a part of Jane's life. She it would have it would have been another lost connections thing, like what she had with the other people. You know what? I I realize now after you saying that, I was thinking from August's perspective of like in my answer of like, oh yeah, that didn't change August's affection for Jane, like just her motivations to from Jane's perspective in terms of world building, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I yes. think you're right. So I think Augie does play a big portion of it, but he is not like the basis for their relationship. Like that just naturally grew out of them falling for each other. But because she knew Augie, she now gets to know August. Mm. Which is kind of beautiful in in thinking that way. Yeah, absolutely. Who was your favorite character? And who was your favorite couple? Don't make me choose. <laughs> I'll choose. <laughs> I've been sitting here staring at the picture you sent of Nico, that first one, this entire recording. Um, it's clear who my favorite character is. Um, my favorite pairing, I think is probably 
I don't want to say the main pairing, obviously, because that feels like an easy answer. I would say mm-hmm. the side characters. I actually like Wes and Isaiah slash antidepressant um, because I feel like we got to see them from the beginning and we also got to see Wes grow into being comfortable and taking that leap into the relationship. Not to say that Nico and Milo's relationship was not unappealing. Like I loved their relationship, but I felt it was already super established and it was kind of like, oh, get them cuties for me versus the vibe for Wes and Isaiah. I was like, kicking my little feet of like, yes, I'm so excited they're together. Like I was rooting for them more so than Nico and Myla because of their establishment. Okay. My favorite character. It's like choosing from your, from your children. I don't know. This is why I don't want to have kids. I, I will choose a favorite. <laughs> Lauren's unafraid. Um. This is going to be a basic answer, but I'm going to say it. I loved Jane's character. And I think it's because throughout the book, even though I know she's one of our main characters, we are learning about Jane the same time August is. And I think that's really powerful. Like, well, actually, in the same time that Jane's learning about herself, you know, like she's remembering these memories and we're experiencing her remembering those memories as it's coming out. And from the first moment, I was like, Damn, that's one charismatic person. And then as it grows, you learn that the the charisma is kind of like a shield around Jane because she's fears that she's such a disappointment. And then her pushing people away because she's kind of like Wes in that way. She doesn't believe that she deserves love. And her working out to realize and her just the complicated emotions that Jane was just exuding throughout like this book was so amazing and just a really great discussion topic and just a great character exploration in general. And I just, I I think Jane is my favorite. Like I can't, I also have a fat crush on her. I want to be August. I already look like her. That's all I got to say. Um, fave pairing. I will also avoid our main pairing because we know so much about them. Like we've literally been in their POV this entire time. I will say Myla and Nico were my favorite pairing. Just because I know Lauren, you were saying like I wasn't you weren't kicking your footsies at because they're so established. I think the reason I was rooting for them the most is just how they felt like just two souls that have lived through multiple lifetimes together and have just found each other again. And I don't know that that's my romantic in me. And yeah, I just love them together and how they just match each other's energy. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the time traveling plot? I don't know if I would consider it time traveling because traveling kind of implies that you can go back like go back and forth. So I would kind of reframe it as like time. Stuck time stuck. I don't know. 
some might say stuck in time. <laughs> Could be that. She's not like going across space and time. She's just on the train for a long time. Yeah. For the sake of the conversation, I I liked that it wasn't just a romance book. I mean, it is a romance book, but like there were there was like a whole world building, a whole plot as well. Because I know I'm I'm a host on a, a romance raunchy podcast. I get it. I like books that have a little more substance where romance is not like the only thing you're handed. I like it either as like a subplot or like a secondary focus. And I feel like this book to me was more about the uncovering of Jane and like people growing into each other. And that is something I really liked and I don't think could have been as well accomplished without the plot. Mm -hmm. I will say like, I loved the mechanics of it all. Like not to say that I, would I call this time traveling? No, because like I just said, but great mechanics, great world building, like Lauren said. And what I think I loved the most about and the reason I don't also want to call it time traveling, time traveling in a lot of like sci fi books, they have, quote unquote, scientific reasons for why time travel happens. And in this, they're not 100 percent sure how it works. They just know what happened. And they fix it. So. so in our first episode, you both mentioned that this is either your first sapphic book or really close to first. You haven't read a lot. I have read a lot of books that have queer plot lines, and I have found that when it is sapphic, that the books tend to have really weird plots rather than just straightforward meet cutes. Why can't sophic romances be normal? I don't even know. I feel like I'm about to talk without actually thoroughly considering my thoughts, so bear with me. In in the spirit of discussing like pride and the underpinnings of discussions of queer rights and movements throughout history in this novel. It brings to mind to me how sapphic romances, I feel like, are not as easily marketable if you were to compare to something that's a heteronormative slash, like, male-for-male romance, I find, at least just sort of, like, in my circles and what I notice sort of as, like, what's being pushed on bestseller list. I feel like it is much more quote unquote, I would say palatable a lot of times for like the the average reader to seek those out. Um, if you look like culturally as well in different um, countries and cultures, I can name like Japan as like a big example of if you take a look at like manga, for example, like the relationships that are pushed towards more like of like that tend to sell more in audiences are male for male or like heteronormative romance. And I wonder if it's a similar trend here and like almost needing more like advanced storylines to like sell it instead of just giving you like, a you know, not puns intended, haha, uh, a straight like sapphic romance. But what are your thoughts, Sid? I think you're bringing up some really good points, but I think I also want to point out that I don't think McQuiston did this intentionally. Um, and this, I don't know McQuiston and I don't know the mass person, but 
from what I know, they are part of the LGBTQIA community and they probably wouldn't want to push negative viewpoints like the kill your gays or those very negative and repetitive storylines. Um, and I mean, I, I did not realize this Ashlyn until you actually pointed it out. Um, but it, it may be just a thing that it need, there needs to be quote unquote more substance, which is unfortunate for these types of books to sell because yeah, I mean, I looking at all of the books um, that are queer romances, majority of them are more targeted towards um, male, male for male. Um, and I think we should put a stop to that because ladies like to kiss ladies sometimes. So let us do that. Um, and maybe sometimes we just want to cute me cute. And now I'm going to commit to reading more sapphic romances. And I'll get back to you, Ashlyn, on it if I find one that's not a me, that's just me cute. Also, listeners, if you have any suggestions, put them in the comments below and we will happily read them. I might edit this out, but the last sapphic romance, well, it wasn't a romance, it was supposed to be a thriller, but it's a gay uh, book that Thanks. I read. Have you told me this? Sorry. Um, oh, it's no, I read this one recently. Um, oh. She gets high on LSD and has sex with a demon and does not realize that it's actually another woman. And then she pretends like it didn't happen. And they called that gay. And I was like, okay. Okay, sure. So suppression of your of your thoughts. Okay. It's it's wild. Did you enjoy the ending? Yes. Yes. Easy yes. I think for the most part, yes, I will say for me, a little bit of asterisks on that. Again, I went into this novel assuming there would be a happy ending. So in the sense of like reading it, I had that expectation and therefore wasn't really caught up in like, ah, will she go back to the 70s for me? <laughs> um, so I think it, for me, it would have been a lot more of a memorable ending if Jane had gone back to the 70s. Not that I would want it. But I think it would have stuck out to me a lot more. Um, I am also a masochist. So. <laughs> I, I yeah. think I think I liked the ending, though, Lauren, because you do bring up a good point that it is like a happy ending. But it's a happy ending with an open ending. Like there's an openness for Jane and for August to continue to grow together. And you don't know what happens kind of like afterwards. Like we're not 100% revealing the ending because I think people, I agree with you, people need to read it. Um, but I think that's why I liked it so much because even though it is a quote unquote happy ending, it's open for us to not know 100% what happens afterwards because that's kind of how life is. Mm -hmm. Before I ask for your rating out of five, I would like to let our listeners know that for the month of July, we're going to be taking just a short break from books. We are going to be doing a two-parter tipsy fanfic night. Should I tell them what we're reading? Or should we keep it a surprise? Actually, why don't we let our listeners guess? Oh, for sure, for sure. 
So I guess we'll be keeping it a surprise until sooner, I guess. Uh, so we'll be taking a short break in July for the books. We will be doing normal posts, but they will be for Tipsy Fanfic Night. For August, I'm going to go ahead and announce our book. We're going to be reading November 9 by Colleen Hoover, which I am very excited about because I'm a Colleen Hoover girly. I am not excited. I know nothing about this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our episode One Last Stop. And before I let you guys go, what was your rating out of five? Easy five. Easy, easy five. Am I going to be the bus kill? Always. Do not do it. Uh, I yeah. am a hard a ass when it, comes, when it comes to my ratings. I rated social distance a 4.5. And for me, I will say for this one to be difficult, a 4.5 what? <laughs> Why? Why do you have to be this way? Because I like to cry at the end of my book. <laughs> Ashlyn, find a romance book that we cry at the end. How about we both die at the end? Or they both die at the end? Is that a romance? <laughs> it's a tragic romance, yeah. Oh gosh, okay. November 9, but not for good reasons. Oof. Oh, no. Oh. I did say I was a masochist. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all from us and your raunchy power hour ladies. So we'll be signing off. And remember, go follow us on all our socials and listen to all of our other episodes. But we will see you later, you beautiful babes. Join us in two weeks for our two-parter episodes of Tipsy Fanfic Night, uh, where we will read to you our Tipsy Fanfic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH Podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com, or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. As always, stay raunchy. Stay raunchy.